Hi, this is Jimmy. Today on the podcast, the guys discuss joy and trial and suffering. No doubt your life has been upended in recent weeks with the COVID-19 virus. So we take a look at the book of James amongst other scriptures, and we seek to help all of our listeners understand that these passages are not meant to draw us to trials themselves and the joy of the trial, but rather the goodness and the grace that we find in Christ in the midst of these trials. In our members podcast, we seek to go after some of the platitudes and the simplicities or the oversimplification of certain churches and approaches to trial and suffering. So we hope this conversation is beneficial to you. Stay tuned. Hey guys, there's a quick reminder. If you'd like to join Theocast and helping other people find rest in Christ, a simple way of doing that is simply by leaving us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also leave reviews on all of our books. They're available at amazon.com. And if you haven't started following us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook yet, that's a great way to take our content and then share it with your friends and family. To learn more about how to support Theocast, simply visit theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Your hosts today are John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church, in Spring Hill, Tennessee, Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina, and myself, Jimmy Bueller, pastor of Christ Community Church here in Wilmer, Minnesota. Gentlemen, I feel like uh, we are uniquely prepared for our current crisis because we always meet on Zoom. We always meet digitally, <laughs> but anyway, good to see you both again. Yeah. Good to see you too, man. We are appropriately socially distanced on the yes, Very we much. always are. Very we much. always are. We aim to be prudent is, and wise. That is here. the question I get most. People say, so do you guys like fly in to record? And I always say, we what do, kind of we do have do you, a jet. What kind of budget do you think yeah. we have? We do have a jet. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's are you Zoom. offering to pay for that? <laughs> we, for we Zoom in with each other every week. Zoom. There you in. go. Zoom. Yeah, we do. Zoom, Zoom, yeah. Zoom. Well, we're making some of the comments about social distancing in light of the COVID-19 reality that we all find ourselves in. I know the three of us had a conversation this morning before we hit record about how we're trying to lead our respective churches in this extraordinary time. I, we keep using phrases like this. I know I do, that these are exceptional times. And so there's a lot of, a lot of wrestling as a leader and as a pastor with how do I care for my church? How do we as elders care for our churches, love our people, help people feel connected to one another when we are precluded from gathering together? And there needs to be, I, I think this is a, a good word for us to just throw out there quickly. There, there needs to be appropriate charity, grace, and latitude in these conversations because we're all really sailing in uncharted waters here. I mean, we're trying to navigate things that none of us have ever tried to navigate in our lifetimes where yeah, we're kept weird. from gathering for an extended season. And, and so we're, we're having to ask hard questions and wrestle with wise practices and what's best. And I know the three of us did not agree on everything this morning when it comes to the particulars of how to do church in this season and how to best love our people and 
what, what do you live stream? Do you live stream? How do you think about the ordinary means when we're kept from them? And what if we can't meet for months and months? What do we do? And we were stretching one another and challenging one another in good ways, I think. And, and I hope that, that pastors out there are doing that for one another. And if you are a member of a church somewhere, pray for your leaders, pray for your pastors, that God would give them wisdom and do your part as a member of the church to continue to reach out to other members of the church and, and love your neighbor well. And, and yeah, these are just strange times, guys. It's like, it's like everything is, is out of whack. Rhythms are just destroyed. Everything feels dystopian and (laughs) man, may the Lord give us grace, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Well, I, I will say that if you're a pastor and you're listening to this and, and you've not reached out to Theocast, we, we're trying to care for pastors as, as well as we can by connecting them together. Uh, we, we ourselves don't have a lot of you know free time, but we have a lot of other pastors and we have groups and we have chats. And uh, I had the opportunity twice now to meet with you know over 15 different pastors. And if I'm totally frank, I was more encouraged by them than I think they were ever encouraged by me. And, you know, as I just say all this, I know there's a lot of pastors feeling alone and confused. And if you're not in a, in a close network of other pastors, you can feel very isolated when you, if you're in a small church plant context and you don't have a lot of elders. So uh, my encouragement is we'd be more than happy to love on you, care for you and answer questions as you're trying to think through what's the best way of doing this. I learned about two resources. I just yeah. like, I didn't know those were available. I'm going to go get those for, for my church. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Boom. So anyways. Boom. So, yeah. Well, so I guess I, in, I think, in, in light of that, yeah. Uh, yeah. What is the, what is the main topic that we want to talk about today, John? Well, I think everybody's feeling at the moment that this is definitely a trial. Some would call it suffering because there are there are people who are suffering. I know in my, I know in every context, uh, Jimmy and Justin, we've all been on the phone that we have church members going without jobs that are concerned about their health, the health of their loved ones. And uh, we're all feeling this. And I think that there's even possibly, well, I know for a fact, there's probably people listening that have someone who's sick or have even died as, as a relates to the current trial. Mm-hmm. And w- we don't want to be insensitive and I think, you know, Justin and I, when unfortunately, when Kobe Bryant news hit the the news feed, we spoke to that about being sensitive when someone dies and how to care for them. And we, we want to be careful not to quote Romans 828 here and just, you know, kind of check the box and say, trust God, everything's going to be fine. Because trusting God, everything's going to be fine does not remove suffering and pain. Uh, Paul is a great example of this where he trusted God and yet his pain remained and it still bothered him. And he even said that it bothered him to the point where he asked God three times and God says, look, my grace is sufficient, but that didn't remove the suffering and the the hurt and the pain. So then you have a command from John, I'm sorry, from James one, two, and from Romans five, three through five, from both these men who tell you to face your struggles and to face your trials with joy, which just seems uh, almost the way I hear it is fake it till you make it, put a smile on, don't let the world know you're down. You, you, you better, you're a Christian, so you better keep that, you better keep that frown upside down. That's kind of, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that's what it feels like when you read those verses. 
Uh, that's the, my first initial takeaway. And if, if, yeah. if, <laughs> I mean, am I, am I crazy there? Have uh, in the past when you guys read that, you're like, yeah, I, I'm not sure what they're trying to do here. Right. Right. Well, it's just, it's interesting. Something I said uh, to our church over Facebook live last Sunday is what's interesting to note is just kind of the various online Christian communities and how they are processing this, this trial, uh, this, mm. this virus and all of the different things that we are all collectively facing. Um, I don't know what it's like. It's not so crazy here in the upper Midwest. Uh, we, we don't have the amount of cases that perhaps people on the, the coastal regions of the United States or even around the world are experiencing. I know in, in Europe, it's being very hard hit right now. So they're tangibly seeing it. Uh, the, the most that people are facing here are you know, loss of temporary work, um, not getting things that they're used to getting at the grocery store and so on. But it, it is interesting to see the collective online Christian community and how they process. And what I mean by that is you're starting to see all of the the memes and the pictures of like I think the Tozer quote is going around like I don't want to misquote him so somebody I'm sure will correct me on Facebook later but uh, I think it's like the <laughs> a, a, a fearful time calls for a fearless church kind of thing mm. and mm-hmm. and certainly there is scripture is chock full of calls to endurance and perseverance and greater hope and greater realities that we have in Christ. Uh, but one of the things that I encouraged our church is to, to really treat this as a season of, of lament, that we, we lament not being able to gather together, to not sing and pray and receive pardon together, that we are, we're suffering. And so I, I've just been very interested in sort of like all the calls to not necessarily perseverance, but all the calls to positivity. And so I think, Justin, you wanted to to talk about that as well. Yeah, I agree with John's assessment that a lot of times the way James 1 in particular, maybe Romans 5, but especially James 1, 2 through 4 are presented is a couple of things. First, yeah, it, when you encounter trial, you you do. You just need to smile and be happy and be joyful um, because what's going on is just swell. You know, every, everything's great. And that's, that's not the thrust of the Bible. To Jimmy's point, lament is all throughout Scripture. I, I sent a reflection out to our church yesterday via email about that very thing, lament through Scripture. That question of how long, O Lord, is littered throughout the Bible. And yeah. God's people for millennia have, have been asking that question, have been wrestling with anguish of the soul and horrible circumstances and all of these things in light of God and his faithfulness. And that's the challenge and the struggle for the believer is to reconcile those things. My life is hard, and yet God is a God of steadfast love. And so those things are put next to one another in Scripture all the time. And so my my initial thought on this is that like James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The way that that sometimes ends up being framed in the church is that trials in and of themselves are joyful. And that's mm, not right. true. That's like yeah. the, the if, if I was going to blow up one thing today, that's what I want to explode, is that notion 
that trials in and of themselves and suffering in and of itself is somehow a good thing. It's not. It's terrible. You you hear people, this is this is where this kind of thinking, John, like you said, fake it till you make it, put on a smile, Jimmy, stuff that you were alluding to, results in people saying things like, My cancer is a gift. And I I don't think that's true. Cancer is awful mm. and it's terrible. And so the statement that's being made in James 1 or Romans 5 about how consider these things joyful because steadfastness and hope and character and all these things are being produced in you and your faith ultimately is being refined and strengthened and sustained. It's not a statement about the goodness of the trial. It's a statement about how great our God is who works through Mm. trial to Mm. sanctify and strengthen us and to sustain our faith and to bolster our assurance because that's what he does. And, that's right. and so that's that's the misconception that I know we're going to speak to throughout our time today, but I, I want yeah. to set the table with that, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I want to be clear that all of us around the mics right now, we we do uphold a very high view of God's divine providence, that he is in control of all things. Like, I do really appreciate our church confession, chapter 5. 1689, London Baptist Confession, chapter 5, paragraph 1. God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, upholds, directs, arranges, and governs all creatures and things from the greatest to the least by his perfectly wise and holy providence to the purpose for which they were created. And and I think that is important to just kind of help frame this conversation that all of us do hold to a high view of divine providence that indeed God is not surprised by things that come upon our life, whether they be a novel coronavirus or cancer or a tragic accident or anything like that, that all of us pastorally would approach those topics with sensitivity and ultimately point people to a very, very big, good, loving, providential God. But at the same time, I think what we're trying to say is that it is more correct to point people to a good God in trial than the goodness of the trial. And I think that's what, Justin, you are uh, wonderfully saying, that we don't—I remember when we had Chad Bird on, you know, a couple months ago, and he talked about, you know, the phrase of, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Well, certainly, I I bet I could go to any— cancer survivor and say, Hey, if you could, if you could not have cancer, uh, would you, uh, would you, would you want that? I'm sure all of them would say, yeah, I would, I would want to forgo the months of chemo and the different <laughs> therapies that I had to go through. So yeah. uh, again, we want to, we want to count it joy when we face trials because it, it bolsters our faith, uh, not in ourselves and the way we handle them, but in God who sustains us. But right. we don't want to celebrate the trial itself in almost like a masochistic sense. So Yeah. Well, in John Calvin's Calmetary in Romans 5, he made a statement that stunned me, and I sat back and literally had to contemplate for about an hour. And I, I think he's right. And he says this, All sorrows we endure contribute to our salvation and final good which eventually, you know, immediately people are up in arms about the concept of contribute. But if you understand what James and Paul in Romans 5 are saying, 
that trials and struggles expose our sin and our frailty. Mm-hmm. And the confession, even when he was quoting chapter five, even in point three, it's in the providence of God, it says that he allows us to linger at time in, in ongoing sin so that we will have a greater dependence upon God. And then they, what, what passage do they reference? They reference Romans five. And I think that's a fair example that when we head into a trial, we find ourselves in the midst of a trial we may not be, and he's not speaking of sinful trials. I think there's spiritual trials and there's physical trials, which are, and then there's sinful right. trials. And Peter says, don't find yourself in, you're, you're going to suffer. Don't suffer for the sake of your own sin. So let's, let's yeah. be clear here. Right. Not all trials are because you've done something sinful, but it's exposing the weakness of your flesh and the weakness of your heart. And trials, this is how I understand them, that we are so easily... Uh, enthralled by the comforts of this life and by the ease of life, that when we face a trial, trials are testing our comfortability. It's the only way. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a trial. <laughs> Why else would you call it a trial? So when you're talking yeah. about a spiritual trial, you're probably being persecuted for your faith. You're being attacked for standing up for your view of, of, of marriage or the Bible or sexuality. And then when it comes to a physical trial where you have some kind of a sickness or pain or suffering, or for instance, coronavirus, what it's attacking is our uh, comfortability of life. And it reminds us that this life is not what brings us hope. This life is not the end of all means. It, It reminds us that this place is broken. It's destroyed by sin. And the only thing that makes it right is what is to come, which is our hope. This is why in Romans 5, he starts with, our hope is the faith in Jesus Christ. And then he ends with the glorious hope to come. So I, I couldn't agree with John Calvin more when he says that the trials contribute in that it bolsters our faith. It strengthens. Of course, trials can't make you saved, but they definitely can strengthen you in the one who's saving you. One way I might articulate that, John, in agreeing with you and agreeing with Calvin is if we think about ourselves, we've all gone through trials before. If, if we've been in the faith for long at all, we've been through a period of trial and, and suffering. And because we're still sitting here, people listening to this show and, and the three of us today, still trusting Christ, we can give this testimony. And this is a lot of the utility of trial, I think. We go into something that is, that's hard. And in particular right now, in thinking about the COVID-19 pandemic, we're talking about something that has happened to us. This is not like you're saying, John, this is not something brought upon us by our own sin directly. This is a, like to use Paul's result language in second, yeah. in second Corinthians 12, it's yeah. a result of sin high, like in terms of the curse, right? This is an yep. Ecclesiastes yeah. Genesis three world kind of reality. And so to use the language of second Corinthians 12, Paul's thorn in the flesh, he'll talk about boasting all the more not only in weaknesses and insults and persecutions, but even calamities. I mean, that's the calamity word is really what we're going through right now. It's happening hmm. to us, and if we could change it, we would. And it's, it's hard. And so as we go into this, we, we're going to experience a season of time where we, we will suffer in various ways. And the, the kind of left-to-ourselves reasonable conclusion is to doubt God and to struggle and to not trust Him 
and to question everything with respect to what he's revealed about himself and about his son and the way of redemption. Well, when we make it through this trial, which we will by God's grace, on the other side, we will look back and we will see, man, if I could have, if I could have left Christ, I would have. If left to myself, I, I would have punted the faith. And here I am today still trusting the Lord and casting my hope upon Christ. How in the world did that happen? And we conclude, my faith is not my own. God is the one who gave it to me. God is the one who is sustaining it. God is the one who is even strengthening and confirming it in the midst of and through horrible circumstances, not apart from them. And so it's, it's a powerful testimony to the faithfulness of God to keep us in the faith. And so I think that is a lot of the value of trial, is that it refines our faith in that sense. And we realize all the more like our confession says, chapter 11.1, the very end of that first paragraph on justification, talking about faith, it, it, it says, and this faith is not their own, is that it is the gift of God. We learn right. that all the more through trial, and it strengthens us, and it, yeah. and it bolsters our assurance. Yeah. So, yeah. It, I, have, I have two things. So the first thing, I want to make a statement. The second thing, I'm going to throw out a question and let you guys wrestle with that, and we can oh, all dear. collectively wrestle with that. But the, the first thing I want to say is, as, as we talk about you know, our faith being bolstered, um, the, I think what's important to remember, I, I have found great comfort uh, in passages like Psalm 13, passages like Psalm 46, and, and even Isaiah 53, yeah. where Isaiah 53 gives us a picture of Christ as the suffering servant. And in those times, where we are experiencing great suffering and calamity that we remember that we do not have a God who is distant from this. And this is something that Mm -hmm. I have said to our church, but Isaiah 53 gives us this wonderful picture of a Jesus who's not distant from sin and death, but rather a Jesus who allowed himself to be crucified by it, was buried by it, but then rose again, defeated those things. And so that, that is such a key thing that we look to and we behold as God's people in these times that we look to the finished work of Christ. Uh, and, and I even, I'm mindful of Jesus in the garden, you know, before his crucifixion. Father, if there is a different way to get this done, can we do it that way? And yet not my will be done, but, but yours. That even Jesus himself, you know, wrestled with, uh, earthly suffering, so to speak. So I guess the question that I have for all of us perhaps to consider is, you know, we are big on what we call the ordinary means of grace, that, you know, the gathering of God's people to, to have our faith strengthened uh, through outward and ordinary means. And so in this time where all of these things are lacking, you know, what do we, what do we encourage people toward uh, regarding that? We are excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith Versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And we, the host, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, 
we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. You can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Yeah, I think we always have to use our the extraordinary circumstances, um, and, and we have to, you know, be be. I think back in the day, they used letters. I mean, Paul spoke of letters that were sent to him, and he sent letters to other people for the sake of encouragement. I mean, we are reading a letter from James, sure. and we are reading a letter from Paul for the sake of encouragement. Uh, so. I think the early church used whatever means possible to encourage each other. I think that we can do the same here in extreme circumstances. I mean, Paul in prison says, Hey, can you, I'm in prison right now. Can you send me some stuff? Cause I can't get right. out. Like you send me somebody to encourage me. And can you send me my books? And I could also use a jacket. <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. in a, in a way, Paul was trying to encourage himself best. He knew how, cause he couldn't go hear the preached word. He couldn't receive the table. And I think in the circumstances where we find ourselves today, that it is not ideal. It is not best. It's not what we want. I cannot wait. Every, not every Sunday now, every day I long to hug one of my church members and to hear communion given to me by one of my elders and to see people sing and to do corporate confession. I cannot wait. And, you know, online is, it's kind of like eating fast food. It's like, well... I guess right. it's necessary, but it's yeah, not right. what I, I want. I got to yeah. eat. And you know what happens when you eat fast food long enough? I do it on vacation. Man, it's called indigestion. And I think we're all going to get it eventually, <laughs> spiritually speaking. Yeah. We're yeah. all going to be yeah, kind of like, sure. Ugh, I need to be cleansed through the preaching of the word. And yeah. to answer your question, Jimmy, it's kind of like, I think we got to hold our nose and and wait for, for the sovereign God to do what he yeah. Do what he's going to do. And I know, JP, you want to answer that. But before I move on, because I'm afraid I'm going to lose this thought, um, I want to go back to something that both of you guys were saying. And I think it is it aligns with what you were saying, Jimmy. You know, Hebrews 4.15 has become such a precious passage for me. Uh, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. And I love that. In the trial, the reason we can have joy is that in my trial and it's what's being exposed is my hope in something that's other than God. What I'm hearing from Hebrews is saying is, oh, Jesus knows. He understands. And then he says, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He, he's also experienced those temptations, John, maybe not the same exact ones as I have because some of mine are based upon my sinful nature theological debate. But where I take comfort is that in the midst of these trials, my Savior understands how I feel and is why I go through these trials, because he's peeling back that which is distracting me from where the real sense of joy and the real sense of hope is. So I think all of us who are, you know, doing this online stuff and virtual stuff, there's a, we have a sympathetic father sympathetic savior who understands our circumstances. And I trust that in these trials, we're going to come out stronger in our faith, not weak. Agree, John. I will quickly answer Jimmy's question and then offer another thought. My brief answer to the question, what do we do right now as men who uphold a 
a very you know an historic reformed understanding of the ordinary means and um and that's appropriate that we do that i mean we need that spiritual nourishment and god has has told us how to how to get it but then in this season where we're providentially hindered from gathering what do we do and my thought is these are exceptional times under the providence of god and we are kept from the ordinary means. And I trust that God will give extraordinary grace in this season. And that's the message that I'm going to continue to hold out to my people in our local church is that God, God's got this, like this has not surprised him. And God has been faithful to his people throughout history, whether we're talking about exile or Babylonian captivity, or we're talking about persecution when people are imprisoned and they're providentially hindered from gathering with the people of God, God sustains and gives grace. And I trust he's going to do the same now. And so you can trust the Lord. I mean, just as we've been saying throughout, we're pointing people to God and his character, his goodness, his faithfulness, his grace, and and telling them to rest there, even as the ordinary means are kept from us for a season. So that's the short answer on that front. I, I, I want to pick up on stuff that you guys are saying. I, I'm jotting down thoughts all over my whiteboard as we're having this conversation because stuff's just kind of popcorning around in there. One thought is that God is very, very careful and loving in the ways that he uses our sorrows. He is not yeah. frivolous and wasteful with them. Like he, mm. he spins our sorrows well. You know, I'm, I'm mindful right. of like Psalm, uh, Psalm 56, 8, where like David will use the language of like, you've kept my tears in your bottle. You know, like you've count in, in a bottle, you've put them in a bottle. You've kept count of my tears. Like God is aware. He is not distant and removed and cold hearted towards us. He is intimately involved in all of the things that we go through, including our suffering, our trials, and he's aware of every tear. And so he's going to spend those sorrows well and not waste them one bit. And I too am comforted, as you brothers have said, in thinking about whether it's a Hebrews 4 reality or an Isaiah 53 reality or the Garden of Gethsemane reality that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to experience anguish and the dark night of the soul. And I I find that to be a a great comfort. I I know Charles Spurgeon would, would say, in thinking about depression and melancholy and the dark night of the soul, he would say, you know, there are times when believers are going through things and they're not even comforted ultimately by the hope of heaven. They're not even comforted ultimately by the, the realities of the cross, but they are comforted tremendously by the Christ of Gethsemane because they see yeah. in Jesus a Savior, a God who took on flesh and a Savior who knows what it's like to suffer and to hurt. Right. And he and can empathize with us in our pain and in our weakness. And it's a phenomenal thing to to reflect on in this yeah. time as we're wrestling with anxieties and and all the stuff that's going through our minds and hearts. Yeah, yeah. It's I I kind of want to maybe take a a little bit of a turn here, and you know, one of the things I'm sure that you guys have seen this floating around is you see the popular post and repost and post and repost of you know during this time we Christians can show. That church has never been about the building; it's always been about the people, and and certainly, I mean, I don't, frankly, I don't know any any churches that outwardly worship their building. Um, you know, speaking from a church plant context, man, a building just sounds really nice to be honest. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, I struggle with empty. <laughs> like, I so would, I. I'd like, I'd really like a building. So Amen, how about brother. that? Facebook. I'm uh, yeah, um, I'm breaking breaking that tenth commandment on the regular. 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Brag him. But but anyway, I again breaking bad. I think one of one of the things that I want to kind of push against is kind of like this whole idea. Well, I mean, for one, yeah, I mean, yeah, we all agree. Yeah, church is a- about people, but that's the problem. Like people can't gather right now. Like that's right. that's the thing. So I don't. I mean, I don't know what good that that post and repost is really. Yeah, I'm not doing quite sure what, other what than, we're trying to demonstrate. Yeah, right. Other than it's like, well, uh, yeah, church is about the people, but uh, I can't even bring you stuff because it's got germs on it. You know, so mm. there's that. But but here's the other thing that I wanted to say is like, I want to just so quickly come to the defense or maybe come to the offense against this whole idea of. You know, during this time, we're really going to see who's committed. You know, we're really going to see who Ooh. the real Christians Ooh. are. Yeah, yeah. And it's mm. like, well, I mean, what what does that mean? Like, yeah, the people that are, um, the, the people that are like all of a sudden reading their Bible more. And I, I don't know. I just wanted to like defend, and and maybe to the listener out there that it's like you're living in a really awkward time. And I don't want to put that law on you that it's like, well, you have all this extra time at home. You better be filling it with, you know, fruitful and productive and productive spiritual exercise where it's just like, I, I don't know. I don't I don't think there's a template of like God's expectations of us during this time other than to, you know, mourn our situation that we can't come together. Um, and we, we are a people of prayer. But I don't think it's anything outside of like the normal rhythms and activities of your everyday life, you know, that right. it's not it's not like we all of a sudden are going to become like A plus Christians during this time. Right. We're just not, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, frankly, I don't know about you guys, but uh, we get our, our tempers are raging in the home right now, mm-hmm. you know, because we don't well, that's have normal for the winter time. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and for us too, like it's still cold up here. And so yeah. maybe where you're listening, you can go outside and take a little walk because it's 70 degrees. But man, here it's still in the 30s, you know. So yeah. we're like, I just need to go outside. You, never mind, I'm not going outside. It's too cold. Um, <laughs> so, so just to just to bring you comfort again, <laughs> yeah. what 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 Justin has has said so well that these are extraordinary times, and and we we trust in God's extraordinary grace, and and even to point us to the 1689 chapter five paragraph three, where it says, in his ordinary providence, God makes use of means. So in his ordinary providence, in an ordinary everyday life, we recognize that the way our strength or the way our faith is strengthened is through the outward and ordinary means of of word and sacrament. But we also see in paragraph three, though God is free to work apart from them, beyond them, and contrary to them at his pleasure. And so I think we just kind of find some comfort there that God is going to sustain us not because of our grip to him, but rather because of his grip to us through the gospel, through through Christ. Hmm. Yeah, I dude, I that is so encouraging, man. So so encouraging. Just to tag on, this is a quick comment, guys. Just to tag on quick to what Jimmy and and what Justin just said. For me, in the midst of this trial, the thing that encourages me and that I'm trying to encourage other people is that there is no suffering that goes unused. And what I mean by that, sometimes when we hear God works all things for good, we're thinking, well, my finances aren't good and my health isn't good and you can't bring this person back to life. I guess you could, but you haven't. And so that's not good. So the relative good is still, we are so connected to what 
this world has to offer that we think the good is here and now. I honestly don't think Paul means that in 828, and I don't think it's meant here either. And I don't think Calvin, when he said the quote, what I think is, he says our final good, which the good is the glorious state we find ourselves in. So all of the suffering that comes into our life is used to keep our focus, which is so easily pulled onto anything but Christ. It's never used except for, I think, to give us hope and insurance and to help us persevere. I mean, the one, Paul flat out just says that, and so does James, that it is to strengthen our perseverance, which is for our final good. And just uh, to comment on James real quick in this, in this light of final good, uh, James 2, I'm sorry, James 1, Four, he says, and let steadfastness hold its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, there's no way he means that now because that would contradict the rest of Scripture of us being sinless, which is impossible. What he's saying is your trials produces joy because you know your trials is what's going to keep your faith in that which is going to perfect you. And he's pushing, it's an eschatological idea. He's pushing you past your current reality to your ultimate hope. And I think if your trials that you're facing doesn't do that, you potentially are for you're losing sight of the gospel because the gospel does not promise recovery now. It promises recovery in its return. And I think trials keep us in that temporary state of hope. Don't hope in this life. Don't do it because mm-hmm. it will constantly yeah. let you down. Along those same lines, John, I'm mindful of Psalm 77 written by Asaph. Uh, a number of the, the psalms that Asaph penned are very gripping in, in this way. He begins Psalm 77 talking about his, his own anguish and his, his difficulties that he's experiencing. He's crying aloud to God, and he's seeking the Lord in his time of trouble. He's acknowledging that his hands are stretched out in the night, and his soul refuses to be comforted. Psalm 77, verse 3, even this, when I remember God, I moan. Like, even as I'm trying to think on God, I moan. And when I meditate, my spirit faints. Like, even those things are not helping me right now. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I I trust that many people are are listening to me read those verses right now, and they're like, bro, you're reading my mail. Like, that's how I feel in in the midst of this suffering and in the midst of this time where we are kept from other human beings and from community and I'm worried about my job and I've got loved ones who are sick or maybe I'm sick and I'm afraid, you know, for my physical well-being. So Asaph goes on in the Psalm 77 to wrestle with God. Is God going to spurn us forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased forever or his promises at an end for all time? He, He asks all these questions. Where does he go? So John, you were just talking about the eternal hope that we have and the rock-solid promises of God to us in Christ Jesus. Well, Asaph in Psalm 77 says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High, and I'm going to remember the mighty deeds of God. And where he ends up going in the last few verses of this psalm, he thinks back to God's mighty work of deliverance in the Exodus. He talks, about God's, yeah. he, he talks about God's way being through the sea and your path through the great waters, Though your footprints were unseen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He's going to think about the fact that God is a redeemer, that God is a savior, and that God is a deliverer. And so for us, in in our context, we are looking to the greater exodus that Jesus has accomplished on behalf of his people, where we have been not just delivered from 
bondage and slavery in a physical country. We've been delivered from bondage and slavery to sin, death, and the devil. And so when, when we can't sleep and when our, you know, our eyelids are held open and when we moan and, and our spirit is fainting, we recall the fact that our God is a Savior and that He yeah. has promised us life with Him forever through Christ and that He saved us. And that's the ultimate comfort. And sometimes people are like, well, how does that help me? How does that help me right now, you know, in the things that I'm going through? And we just continue to hold out the hope of Christ and say, brother or sister, this doesn't take the pain away. This doesn't just remove all fear, but this is your hope and confidence. And when everything is falling yeah. around, falling apart around you, this is your hope and stay. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah. JP, JP, you and I were, we were discussing this yesterday over the phone that Indeed. realistically, as you, as you look at the book of Psalms, you know, the, the Bible's worship and prayer book that over one-third of the Psalms begin, over one-third, over one-third of the songs begin with the posture of asking God where in the world he is. Like, why like, is he doing you? this? Or why is he alive? Why is yeah, where way? are you? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Psalm 13, I, you know, I shared this as a meditation with our church last Sunday. Psalm 13 you know, all Psalms of Lament have a very similar outline. You know, the first chunk typically begins with uh, a crying out to God. Where are you? Why is this happening? What's going on? Can you please answer my questions? The second chunk of the Psalm is uh, asking God for for faith and for help. And then the the last part is, is JP, what you just talked about, that we we remember the deeds of the Lord and his faithfulness in the past. So even Psalm yeah. 13, verse 5 and 6, I have trusted your steadfast love. My mm-hmm. heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And you think of the psalmist as he wrote this. And, you know, he's he's recounting, you know, deeds past and 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 even greater for us now under the the beauty of the new covenant that we can look back to Jesus Christ and and his his finished work that we can look back to the gospel and what what God has declared over us in Christ that we are indeed holy and made righteous and made pure and made blameless in his sight and and so even as we think about this virus and the threat that it brings and and yeah, statistically, are you are statistically speaking, are you going to die from this virus? Well, probably not. Now, don't take my non scientific word for it. But, but whenever like something like this, a pandemic or some sort of crisis comes up, we start to wade through life and death. And so, what we look to is not necessarily how we are going to. Our faith is not in how we weather the storm. Our faith is not in how well we execute the Christian life during a crisis, but our faith is where it always is, in good times and bad, and that's in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Yeah. Hey, before we close down, guys, I just want to read, to Jimmy's point, I want to read a a quote from C.S. Lewis that I read in an article by Horton, which I was super helpful. I posted it on the Theocast Facebook page and group. Uh, I can't remember the name of the article. But the quote from C.S. Lewis says this, do not let us begin, sorry, do, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. 
and quite a high percentage of us are going to die in unpleasant ways. <laughs> Point of it thanks, is thanks, is Clive that, Staples. <laughs> yeah. Point of it is is that what we try to preserve here in this life is just futile. Like we're going to all die most likely a painful death. And so you can try and live your life preventing that, or you can understand that, look, my hope is not here. I found my place. A resting place is outside of my current circumstance. This is not Debbie Downer. This is not giving in. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't concern about your health or you shouldn't wash your hands. That's the exact opposite. I mean, the exact opposite of the article and what Lewis is saying, but he's saying is, the world has not changed from the fall just because the coronavirus or the atomic bomb or the plague. Um, so anyways, just, uh, yeah. I, I guess it's a way to sign off with hope. <laughs> yeah. Jenny, if I can get one parting shot in here before yeah. you wind us down. Yeah, man, go for it. Lamentations three is a, is a familiar passage to many people, but I think sometimes we gloss over it cause we, we quote verses 21 to 25 all the time and we don't, quote them mindful of the context in which they occur. I mean, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet for a reason, and he's he writes yeah. a lot in, in the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations about just horrible realities that the people of God are experiencing in Jerusalem under Babylonian captivity. And he is he's just repeatedly talking about how the people have been reduced to cannibalism and, and eating their children and all these kinds of things, and the suffering is just terrible and unmitigated. And he even talks about his own lot and the wormwood and the gall and the bitterness and all this stuff. And then he immediately interjects in the midst of that flow of thought, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And he goes on to talk about how God's mercies are new and all of those sorts of things. And the Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him. And if we read, if you read Lamentations straight through and you get to those words, they're almost shocking. Like, where do these words come from? They would be shocking if the Bible were not full of the same kind of stuff. Like all throughout scripture, the, the suffering and the plight of fallen man and our pain is placed right next to the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. And how those things hang together in every detail, we do not fully understand. You know, and when we start trying to overstate that relationship, we do stupid things with it, and we, we misrepresent God, or we misrepresent pain. And so what we want to uphold here is the reality that life is hard, and our God is a God of steadfast love. And yeah. he, he rules and reigns, and he, he will work all things for the eternal good of his people. And what we are called to in the midst of suffering like now is to encourage one another to trust the Lord and to keep trusting Christ. Amen. Well, this has been, uh, I think, a really good and helpful conversation. I mean, forgive me, guys. I was just actually texting another group of friends and told them that we were recording right now, and I'm like, man, I'm just really encouraged. <laughs> you know, it's good, <laughs> even God. though we're even though we're socially distanced. You know, I'm grateful for technology that God has yeah. given us Absolutely. and His common grace that we can we can still gather. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you to the listener for tuning into this conversation. We hope and pray that you found it helpful. And far be it from us to ever leave you with something to do. But if we could encourage you with something, uh, please pray for your pastor. Encourage him. Shoot him a text. Tell him that you love him and that you're, you're, you're supportive of him. I mean, these are just extraordinary times, and it's very, very difficult, and it requires a lot of wisdom as we think about shepherding God's people. So... Pray for him. Um, God will sustain you during this time. 
keep your eyes upon Christ. Uh, we're going to pop over to our our members podcast. Uh, if you would like more information about getting involved there or what it means to be a member, you can head to our website, theocast.org, where you can find more information of what it means to be a Total Access member. So again, thank you for tuning into this conversation, and we hope that you found it helpful as you seek to rest in Christ.